All right. It's politics and parenting. It's Jeff Mayhew. It's John Beatty. Welcome. How are you doing today, John? I'm doing great, Jeff. How are you? I'm tired. I'm always tired. I'm always tired. That's the definition <laughs> of being a parent. Right. Well, and, and I, I had a birthday recently, and um, it turns out I'm old. I, I, I wasn't aware of that. I, I visited some friends on Monday, and they made sure that I knew that I was old. But not that old. Not, not, uh, not White House level old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah Happy no birthday. one's white house level old right <laughs> yeah i think that's a constitutional you, amendment you can put in is you got to be at least 75 to run for the presidency <laughs> given how things are going how about, if you're, how about if you're over 70 maybe maybe it's not the job for you so what do you want to talk about I so know. i think you you show me this little interview i don't know if you can ex- explain that a little bit more oh so yeah i sent you the interview of andrew yang and um Acosta. So, um, well, I, I thought that was interesting because Yang is kind of doing something to what we're doing, right? And Yang thinks, um, I think, I, I believe that he believes he's like trying to save democracy. Is that, do you think that would be his like motive right now? He's, saving, Acosta, he's trying to save democracy. We're trying to save the republic. Well, yeah, that was a distinction I was going to make. But yes, um, so uh, Acosta basically accuses him of doing this whole thing for book sales, which personally i find a little ridiculous like he he doesn't need to do this for book sales he can sell i think there's a better way to sell books than starting a party don't you think you know in my short time in politics i wouldn't put past anyone to juice book sales but but no i i mean i i think it's important that you try to take people at the face value until you've got evidence that they're just doing it for some other ulterior purpose so no i think he he, he genuinely cares about this i mean um, running for any office and especially trying to run for the presidency like he did in 2020. Uh, he definitely has got ideas and he's ambitious. Um, and then to lose and to run again for another uh, office, I think he's got ideas and I think he wants people to hear those ideas. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. I, I find Yang to be a genuine person. I've read two of his books. Um, out of po- out of everybody in politics right now, he by far has the most ideas. Like, and any single person, he's putting ideas out every day. Do I agree with those ideas? Not really. But I respect the heck out of the fact that he's putting them out there and he's not afraid. Um, but that brings me to to his interview because he seemed a little afraid. Did you did you get that from the interview? Because I did. I did. I, I felt like he was trying to. I mean, and, and this is, I guess, goes back to sort of. How do you moderate two sides of, of very contentious issues? And so that particular interview, the first question was on abortion. The second question was guns. Those are obviously very emotional issues and they're going to get people, um, people have um, very strongly held opinions on the, on both sides of those issues. And he, it looks like he's trying to box Yang in there to either get one side to hate him or get the other side to hate him. And I think the thing that Yang seems to be doing is he's actually trying to build a coalition of kind of people in the middle who have ideas on, on both sides, but might be willing to try to make, make a move towards something that a lot of people can agree on rather than just one particular uh, group of people on those issues. Yeah. Well, so let's, let's talk a little bit about what Yang's saying. He's starting a third party. We are starting a faction, right? And so mm-hmm. let's talk about what the difference is. Well, a faction can exist within inside of a party and a party is a party, right? And the problem that I have with Yang is the fact that he's gone the party route. It's not to say that a third party shouldn't exist or couldn't exist in our republic. It's to say that if you really believe that democracy is on the fritz and your goal is to make some quick, you know, to make some like 
big strides in the right direction, the party route is the wrong direction because you're going to have to fight legal battles state after state to get on the ballot to be able to make some changes, to get people elected. And you're going to be doing that for a really long period of time. And if you wanted to make, if you had something that you believed in that you really wanted to work on, creating a faction where you build those coalitions in one room and then allow those coalitions to break apart and go into their parties, which is what we are doing, you're able to make some more change because now the people that make the rules are the Republicans and the Democrats. They write those election rules to keep the third parties off the ballots. Now you have people in the room that can argue to make the changes that you need to make. Um, and I think that that's just a better strategy. I, I don't think he's doing it because, you know, for any ulterior motive, I just think that he hasn't thought about it. Like, I, I got this perspective from reading Madison and Hamilton. I, is, is Yang reading Madison and Hamilton? You know, from his books, it doesn't sound like it. <laughs> but, you know, I think that it would be a good, a good place to start. I think he's, he has actually posted some things recently that makes me think that he is kind of going that route a little bit. He actually mentioned the House appropriation recently. Did you see that? No, I didn't. What do you say about it? Oh, he just asked the question, like, is this enough members? And I'm like, no, it's not even close to enough members. <laughs> but, you know, and that goes to my, my other thing with the party. And disclosure, I've been trying to be in contact with the party. I went to the first online um, forward party meeting in Virginia. Um, and I think it was a bunch of really good people, I thought, on the call. I like the way that they structured the meeting where they kind of laid out they laid out their foundation and then they asked questions like who are you and like do you have any questions um but I, I found it really thin on substance um and everybody was just asking what the party was like found like principles were and they didn't have anything to report back you know and it was like we have to wait and see what uh, they decide wait and see what they decide on like policy i asked about the so citizens united and i asked about the house and it's like we have to hear from above and it's like that sounds like a top-down party structure and that's my biggest problem with the republican and democratic parties right now it's all top down they don't actually care what the people who are doing the groundwork think or say they don't really want to hear from them there's no inner discussion it's just this is what we were told to believe in go go fight for that um so if if that's the way he's going to run the party, then I don't think it's going to be successful because it's going to end up being the same thing because you're creating the same environment that already exists, which means you're ultimately going to end up creating the same candidates. And if you're going to save democracy, if you're going to save the republic, you got to be able to create an environment to create better candidates. Don't you think? I think so. I think one of the challenges uh, is when you when you're trying to build a coalition, you do need some kind of ideas that people can coalesce around. Uh, and so perhaps th that's just what they're doing right now is trying to uh, group test or, or, or beta test or uh, focus group. That's focus group, certain ideas that maybe they can get a coalition around. And that's why he's kind of uh, gun shy about talking about guns or wants to back away from abortion because he, that's going to turn people away uh, before he can really get the, the get a different issue in front of them that you could you could coalesce people around, um, and I, you know I think that that's um, like if you look at the Wyoming primary, uh, Liz Cheney lost up by a sizable amount, and sort of what you could take it you could look at it a bunch of different ways. People you know it's a repudiation of her work on uh, and the January sixth committee and stuff, but 
I look at it more as when you're trying to win some kind of popular election, you've got to bring people around and you've got to have ideas. Um, and I think, I think people were, you know, that they, they just didn't, you know, they just, I think the people in Wyoming probably didn't care that much about what she was saying with January 6th. And they probably just wanted someone who could focus on Wyoming issues. Someone I was listening um, to another podcast today and they talked about it. And, you know, like the January 6th is a very national issue. And it wouldn't surprise me that the people of Wyoming want local representation. They want someone to focus on local issues and represent those local issues in Congress, which, you know, goes back to your point about the House uh, membership numbers being so small. And that makes it easier for people to focus on national issues rather than really representing what their constituents want and, and what they were, what, what a, a member was elected to do in Congress for the people that they represent. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I 100% agree with that. I mean, look, there's something for standing up for democracy and, and holding people accountable. But if you want to win, if you want to keep your job, if you want, you have to, you have to listen to the people you represent. And, and this is the same thing for Yang, right? I mean, I go and I knock a lot of doors. I've been knocking doors for the last year. And when I'm not knocking doors, I'm literally just sitting in coffee shops across the county, talking to people, asking them, what is the biggest problem you feel is in pro politics? And the number one answer without like, not even close is money and corruption, money and corruption. So you, if you're Andrew Yang or if you're Liz Cheney and you're trying to take this like, responsible moral path to victory that's not good enough like people just they don't they want to know all right you're doing the right thing good but what is the right thing like what are you going to do to help me and help my life i'm here screaming at you like when i i wrote about it in the article the other day when when you hear people talking about a rigged election what they are telling you is they cannot be heard they don't feel like they're being represented and it's obvious that they're not under they're not represented properly because we're short you know <laughs> we're 435 we should be at 870 like it's not even close right and so put out some ideas you know do something else give some people some hope as opposed to just pointing the finger and telling them that they're wrong or whatnot and you know with yang and and the specific issues that you brought up i think that you have to be able to be honest because when you back to that money and the corruption part, you've people don't trust elected officials anymore, you know, and if you're going to go on the air and somebody's going to ask you about what your position is and you're going to be like, it's not left, it's not right, it's forward, we are forward thinking on this. Okay, all right, I get that. If you want to let the people decide where your policy is, I can support that. But what do you believe, Andrew Yang? Mm -hmm. What is your personal opinion on the subject? Like, you shouldn't be afraid to tell the the people, right? Like, if, if you're going to ask me, Jeff, what's your what's your position on abortion? I'm pro-life. I believe that life is a right. I believe that it's not only is it a right, but it's 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 a privilege. It's an it's it's special. Like, it's just special. It's fundamental. Yeah, it's fundamental. I mean, it is. It's how we survive. And when you go back and you read like Jefferson's story, for example, and all of the children that he lost and he lost his wife during child or because of childbirth, and he lost children over and over again. And you, like you just read those biographies and you cry and, and then you think we have become a nation that says that it's okay to just get rid of life. I, I disagree with it. Now, 
am I open to hearing somebody else's opinion? Am I open to allowing that discussion to happen inside my faction? Yes, absolutely. Because that's how, that's how free speech works. You're allowed to share your belief and we're allowed to have discourse about it. And I just think that if Andrew Yang is either or, he should just tell us. And don't be afraid to tell them. And somebody's not going to like you, and that's okay. But eventually, if you just keep on telling the truth and you keep on showing people who you are, as opposed to being scared uh, that they're not going to like what you say, you know, you seem not genuine anymore, you know, because now it's like, how do I know that you're not just telling me what I want to hear so I support you? You know, like, I'll tell you what I believe. I remember, quick story, I remember, you remember the, uh, the Unity Read uh, forum we did? Yes. When we were so John and I both ran for Congress and we were doing Unity Arena. And John and I, when we would go out there, we would sit or we would shake hands with people in the audience and we just talk to them, right? Yeah. And I went up to a group and the first question they said, Do you support Donald Trump? Or would you support Donald Trump if you ran for office again? And I looked him straight in the eye and said, Absolutely not. And he, he goes, Really? Why? And I said, Well, because his behavior was like a child. And I hold my kids accountable and I hold myself accountable so they'll learn to hold themselves accountable. And it wouldn't be, uh, I wouldn't be a good father, in my opinion, to them if I did that. And he goes, hmm. And, I, and you know, that was the end of the conversation. I walked away and his son turned to him. He goes, at least he told you the truth. <laughs> and I was like, and I smiled. That made me feel good. Like the dad, the dad I overheard the dad talking later. He wasn't going to vote for me. And that's cool. Like, whatever. Like, but at least I told the truth, right? I actually shared what I believed and I wasn't even scared of it. I just, I didn't care. I talked to, you know, Trump supporters all the time. They like my ideas for the most part. And I like them. I think they're good people. Um, I don't think they're deplorable at all. Um, I disagree about the guy, but who cares, right? Like it's just one person. We're allowed to not like certain people, right? Mm -hmm. Well, and I mean, like there's a lot of things around that too. I mean, like you could pick particular policies. If you go back to the pro-life issue, he may have been one of the most pro-life presidents and you gotta if that's a, a key issue for you you gotta be grateful for all the things that happened because he was in office but then you're absolutely right you go back and you look at the behavior and you say that's you know i tr i try not to be childish and i certainly want to teach my kids not to be childish and to throw tantrums and, and really to to have some kind of uh control some kind of temperance some sort of you know if things don't go my way i go back and i figure out what went wrong and I try to, to fix it rather than just say, oh, well, that's, I can't believe I didn't get my way. That's, it's not my fault that I didn't get the way. It's all your fault. And you better stop what you're doing and cater to me. And, um, you know, I, I think that's, that's something that, that we can all, uh, most of us could probably agree is, is not the best for discourse and for, and for trying to find common ground and for kind of coming together. Yeah. I mean, that actually kind of transfers uh, or translates to what we're going to talk about next, which is parenting, right? Because this is politics and parenting. Um, and, and it's something I think about a lot. Um, as a, my number one job in my life, I feel like, is to be a father, um, to be a good role model, to set a good example, and to teach and guide. Um, and sometimes it's hard, right? Do you ever find that it's really hard? All the time. All the time. <laughs> <laughs> like, do you ever feel it? Do you ever sit sometimes and go, I'm a terrible dad because I got to be honest. I say that to myself like once a week. I go, I am, I'm failing. Um, typically my wife will say, hey, no, you're not. And I'll go, mm, you just love me, but okay, I'll, I'll believe you. <laughs> How do you so feel about it? You sound like a melancholic. That's a melancholic thing where you just, you're always <laughs> trying to 
self-critique your, to your right. behavior and stuff to see what can go better. Which I mean, I'm I'm uh, I'm part me- uh, melancholic. I'm I'm actually mostly phlegmatic, so I'm a, a big people pleaser. I mean, I think it's natural to to look at yourself, and I, I would say like, um, is it Plato, Aristotle? It's like the unexamined life is not worth living. So, it's it's incredibly natural and it's incredibly human to say like, you know what, I made a mistake here, um, and you know this is this is what went wrong. This is how I can fix it. This is how I can act in a different situation. I mean, like early on in my marriage, I had uh, a lot of anxiety problems, and so that was something I had to get help to kind of manage that anxiety, where you just sort of said like what is triggering this response and how do I work through that and, and, um, and, and, you know, not have, not yell at someone, not, uh, you know, get angry. I, I think like, you know, that's just, those are human emotions that we are all kind of work, hopefully working to get uh, better at. And I would say the same thing with parenting. Like, you, you know, a, every child is unique. So even if you've, uh, you, this is like your second or third or sixth child, you know, it's a different <laughs> situation in that, in that spot. So even if you, you've got some ideas, you've learned something like, you know, there's always some kind of new wrinkle you got to consider. So I, I think it's totally reasonable to say like, I made a mistake. I didn't respond properly, but I, you know, I think that's, that's a key thing that melancholics have to work on is you can't take it personally. You sort of have to say like, all right, I'm going to get better at this. And I'm going to, I'm going to move on. So, um, right. I, th- I think, uh, you know, well, and so first of all, how many kids do you have? Six children. Yeah. Six kids. He's got a lot of kids guys, like way more than most people. Right. It's a traveling circus. we got a 12 passenger trans- <laughs> transit van that we'll do cross country road yeah. trips on. I'm a normal person. I only have five children. <laughs> You know what the funny part is, is like a hundred years ago, we were the normal ones. Now everybody else has like one or two kids. And now we're like, people see, when we go out to dinner, it's like hard to get a table, you know, <laughs> especially if you go on like prime time and they're like a uh, party of nine, party of seven, you know, depending on who's with us. It's like, mm, I can't do that. Got to call ahead. <laughs> yeah. And, and then it's even then it's uh, it's pricey with a lot of little kids. Oh my gosh. Yes. Um, but, but back to the parenting, back to, you know, what you're talking about. So I think one of the things that I struggle with right now is it's not necessarily like it's, so I, I can always identify parenting mistakes that I make, but I typically identify them afterwards, but I'm in this weird position where I feel like I'm making a parenting mistake that I am cognizant of, but I'm choosing to make the mistake anyways, because I feel like I don't have another choice. Do you ever feel like that? Uh, I probably felt that way. I mean, I think that's. I would almost say like you got to kind of go to like the Toyota Five Wise method. Like, why do you feel like in that situation you know what's happening and you're you're still going to follow through with it anyway? And you know, like then that means that there's something else that you're not quite considering that's sort of affecting that decision. Because I mean, like you know, economists always are like, well, it's a perfectly rational human being, but that's not true. Like none of us are perfectly rational. We've all got ideas and and. the context that goes into that. So there might be something else in the, in that situation that is making you kind of second guess yourself as you're going through that. And I, I mean, like I, I, I certainly second guess myself all the time and um, I'm always like, Oh, I, right after the fact, I'm like, ah, I probably should have done that. But um, I would say I would, you know, I'd be curious to see if you think when you think about that as like, what was the broader context around that, that, that made you realize at the time that maybe this was a mistake, but um, you still kind of went with through with it anyway. Well, so like, um, it's an ongoing mistake. I'll tell you about it. So, um, my thing is 
so my two middle children, so the audience knows they're 12, and then my two youngest are five. So I've got these like wide gaps, and they're both in these like transition periods between you know pre-K and kindergarten, and then you know that adolescence, like preteen age. And the preteen age is the thing that I'm worried about the most. Like my younger ones, they're they're going to be fine. They're resilient. They, it's the the teenage years that are really really formidable um, as far as like establishing proper behavior, like future behavior and emotions, and how to like handle feelings and talk and discuss feelings. And I just feel like I need to give them more time, right? Like I picked out a book with Julia yesterday for to read so we can spend time together but i find that time is hard right now because i have this other thing that we're doing right the madisonian republicans plus i have a business that you know struggling and you know we have a struggling economy i have to devote a lot of time and i find myself working a lot a lot a lot a lot and i think sometimes i shouldn't be working i should be spending time with my family but i also believe that what i'm doing is kind of important and I believe if I saw somebody else doing it, I probably wouldn't be doing it, honestly. But I don't know. I find myself in this really weird situation um, where I feel like my work is the best way to serve my family um, for the, in the long term. I think it'll serve my kids' future better, realistically. If, if the republic is more stable <laughs> yeah. than it is now, I think my kids will have a better future. And so like, I feel like I'm sacrificing like, the short term for the long term. Um, but then there's also the possibility that I'm just like a crazy person and like it's all made up and I don't really have to save the Republic or anything. And, <laughs> you know, and it's not like I'm not, we are, but <laughs> you know, like just more people need to be engaged and just selling that is, has been a challenge. And then dealing with not seeing my kids as much as I'd like to see them, you know, becomes a challenge sometimes. Yeah. That is one thing I definitely struggle with. I mean, I've also got a full-time job, uh, being on the school board takes up a good amount of time and just and it's evenings too which is always like key everyone's home it's a good opportunity to interact with your children and um, show them you love them have dinner together uh, and then you know running for congress obviously kind of took up all the rest of the time so i mean for me it was basically stripping away almost every single hobby or every single kind of extracurricular to make space for the kind of those key things of, of family um uh, faith and then whatever you needed to do to, to keep, to, to strengthen those while you were working on that. So, um, you know, I, I think it's, it is, does come down to prioritization. And I, I, I think that's, that's a challenge because you have to work to provide for your family. I think, um, and uh, you know, my wife tells me this, so I know it's true. I think like the work <laughs> we're doing here is incredibly valuable because this is, you know, we all believe that our Republic is in a, in a tough spot. Um, and it just, you know, it needs people to, to kind of get back to fundamentals to fix it. And, and, you know, you and I both see that not a lot of people, um, have realized this and, you know, I think it's just cause they haven't been shown that through, uh, whatever books they read, whatever they see. And I think we're kind of living in an echo chamber bubble where it's so easy to say, oh, well, this is what my team says. This is what their team says. So, I mean, I, I think what we're doing is, is important. Um, so why I'm here, but you know, I, and like, that's just, I, it's a tough prioritization. And I think that's, you're right. It is kind of a short term sacrifice with the idea that, um, how can you make it sort of better for everyone in the long term? But, um, yeah. And, and so, you know, one thing that, uh, so like while I was running for Congress and, you know, during like the, you know, a lot of it, 
most nights I'm reading and writing. Like I know people are like, you should be out there selling yourself. And I'm like, no, I'm studying. I'm a foundational guy. I want to have a good policy. I want to be able to discuss these issues with confidence. And my kids, you know, I actually, you know, they're 12. So I started teaching them how to cook dinner. And um, so I wasn't able to spend like the time maybe like, you know, throwing the baseball around, which I'd, I'd still made time for, but not as frequently as I'd like. Um, but I made sure that every night I spent time with them doing something that I had to do anyways, which was make dinner. And so I and slowly over the course of running for Congress, I taught my son how to cook realistically. And, uh, you know, so now like there's times where, hey, you know, mom is working late, I'm working late. Hey, get some chicken thighs out, season it up, grill it off so we can have, um, we're going to make this dish when we get home. And my other daughter's good with, you know, doing stuff as well, but Oliver really took to it really well. And he, you know, he can trim it, he can chop it up, he, he can do whatever. Um, so I walk away and I go, all right, in my kids' eyes, I have not been spending time with them. You know, I'm not fun dad doing all the really fun things that I, I typically like to do, but I did spend some quality time with them and I taught him a new skill, whether he sees it as valuable now or not. I know in the future when he's 25 and he's living on his own and he can like do that and whoever he ends up like living with, <laughs> it's going to be really happy that I taught him how to mm -hmm. do that, you know, it's um, because it's, it's a key skill in life. Now you got to be able to provide and cook for yourself. And so like my kids, especially because they're preteen, maybe they're a little resentful. They're like, you're not doing the things with us that we want you to do. And it's like, well, I mean, I am dad and it is my responsibility to choose what you do kind of to a degree. Um, and I think that it's more important that I spend time cook, teaching you to cook than watching whatever, a baseball game or, or whatever. And it's not to say that I don't like baseball. I love baseball, but you know, sometimes we do it the, the same time at dinner, you know, but other than that, it's, it's just kind of how we cope and, and we get through, right? No, I mean, I think that's a, a key thing too, is you're helping them get better at the same time as you're spending with, I mean, like that, if you're going to have a limited amount of time with your children, I think that's probably the best way to spend it. Um, Cause it's, it's active and it's, it's an opportunity for you to guide. And, and I think it's, you know, it really, it's probably not just the cooking too. It's sort of the, how do you prepare stuff? How do you show up and, and uh, follow through with stuff? Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, like it's, it, you know, it's not just how do you grill chicken thighs. It is all the things around it that are key life skills that can be applicable outside of cooking that you're also kind of imparting. That, and, and yeah, and that's exactly it. And those, you know, in all honesty, those are the most rewarding parts of being a father, right? Like, so when I, when I'm able to, my wife texts me and say, I need to make this for dinner. And I said, hey, just get Oliver to do it. And I'm able to like lessen the load of work that my wife has to do. Because by the way, my wife is picking up all the extra work around the house, right? Like if dad's working constantly to run for Congress and then put on a political thing, that means mom has to carry so much more than she should have to carry. Um, and I, I love her for taking on that for me. But if I can lessen that by, by a skill that I taught my son, it, there's just, it's a level of pride that you feel in your, in your boy, the, the fact that he's, he's taken this responsibility on his shoulders and he likes it. He likes to be able to take care of his mom, you know? And, and so it just brings us a little closer as a family, even through the moments where we're kind of, you know, maybe mad at dad cause he's always reading a book or something. <laughs> you just want that attention. Well, what we've been doing on our side is sort of after dinner is, um, you know, again, cause it, you got, it's important to get kids to help. So we, everyone gets a kitchen uh, job. So, and it kind of, they're all sort of mostly age appropriate, 
Um, so like Paul is the oldest and he will always wash the dishes and then William will load the dishwasher. But the, um, the table clearing, the table wiping are kind of, they're pretty easy jobs. So we give those to the middle kids, but what we're doing, you know, going back to sort of this, uh, continuous improvement and thinking how things can get better. We would, you know, we noticed that so the slow eaters had the jobs that were kind of, uh, they had to get done right after dinner. And then the quick eaters were the jobs that had to get done, you know, after everything else was done. So one of the things we did was switch things up where the, the quick eaters now they clear the table as instead of uh, wiping the tables. Cause what they would do is they would finish their dinner quickly. Uh, once they were excused, they'd run outside and go biking. And then when it was their turn to wipe the table, they had to, you had to go outside and call them back in. And then meanwhile, you've got slow pokes nibbling at their dinner who are supposed to be clearing the table, which is uh, causing a bottleneck for the dishwasher. So we've been, <laughs> we've been trying to uh, streamline the efficiency just, you know, so that we're not wasting time cleaning the kitchen so we can have more time at dinner and then we can perhaps if there's time, go for a walk or something after dinner, or, you know, just kind of hang out as a family when, when there is that availability. Yeah, no, I mean, that's great. And kind of like helping your kids learn how to solve issues like planning and organizing, right? Like, I mean, all life is planning and organizing, right? <laughs> and executing. And executing, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so uh, what else you got going on? What else you got going on, John? Anything exciting you're reading? I'm just about finished with Team Arrivals, uh, and then I'll get back to the, my Madisonian biography. It was kind of a weird vacation twist where I, that was the book I had. I mean, it's, I mean, going back to like coalition building, that's amazing. I, I will never forget the, the coalition of uh, German-Americans that Lincoln had to win his... Um, nomination and then the election and then the the co and, and in that coalition was people who hated german americans and i think like you know that's something that drives me crazy in our current politics we're so unable to uh live with other people we don't 100 percent agree with and to kind of look at whatever shared causes or shared ideas we have and and try to focus on on those but um so i don't know what are you reading jeff and you got another book uh so i'm getting ready to start don quixote with julia so that's gonna be the next book i read but oh, i fun. actually i so for my birthday yesterday, I ordered myself John, John Quincy Adams Diaries, um, Volume 1 and Volume 2. So it's basically his whole life in a diary form. And I don't know how many people are familiar with John Quincy out there, but he's one of the most fascinating people in history. I know that they made a big uh, play off of Hamilton, but they totally missed the boat when they didn't do John Quincy's story because this guy, check this out, he started the diary when he was eight. And from that point... He went on to follow his father, who was the second president of the United States, to um, France and the Netherlands to establish the debt. Then he came back over here. He watched his dad be vice president and then president. And he went and became um, the secretary of state under Monroe. He wrote the Monroe Doctrine. Monroe gets all the credit, but John Quincy did a lot of the work. And then, then he becomes the president. <clears throat> and he's president. <laughs> it's one of the it was the first dis disputed election right the corrupt mm -hmm. bargain really shifted modern day politics i read about it the other day he, he loses the next one to uh andrew jackson but he doesn't stop in politics he goes back to congress and do you know why he goes back to congress john why does he go back to congress to fight the slaveocracy because he sees what nobody else sees and he writes about this a lot and i'm hoping to read more about it when i get his diaries but um he sees the fact that there is a small group of people working to undermine the means of Republican government. And they're trying to get people elected so they can expand slavery. Um, and that is their goal. And he sees this before everybody else sees this. Now, by 1850s, 
everybody knows what's going on. But back in the 1830s, John Quincy is just screaming at the top of his lungs about it, and nobody's listening to him. And I take a lot of, uh, I kind of relate with that because I feel like I'm screaming at the top of my lungs and nobody's listening to me. I kind of feel a little like John Quincy, except, you know, he was much more successful and smart than I am. <laughs> well, he had a. But I want to know what his diary be, It's easier when your father's president, I think. Well, yeah, he definitely had a leg up. You know, I mean, my dad's a great man, but he was not president. <laughs> <laughs> You've got a, a longer road to get to that spot, but no, I mean, like, yeah, it's, it's <laughs> you gotta, uh, you gotta call the call it as it is. I think that's a key thing, you know. Um, going back to Yang, yeah. sometimes people are afraid to say what's on their mind for fear of, of the blowback. But you know, when you, as you said, when you speak the truth and when you go out there and you try to tell people what's going on, you, it it's a slow, uh, but I think we can do it quicker. You know, it's it's a process to get people to come along with you to see what's going on. Um, you know, they won't see it unless you, you teach them. Right. Yeah. And I think that's actually where John Quincy kind of failed. He was a little bit of, I mean, he was definitely an intellectual. He was a little bit of a snob. Um, so he probably just didn't relate with regular people for the most part. And, and remember part of the reason he lost, um, to Andrew Jackson, it wasn't just because Andrew Jackson was on this vendetta and Martin Buren Buren put on this big political machine. He did exactly what Liz Cheney did. Right. He basically said the status quo is the status quo. I'm going to be moral. And everybody in certain states were like, hey, we're getting unfairly. We, I don't like these tariffs. This is unfair. I don't I don't like this. And instead of explaining how to fix it and working to fix it, he kind of just he didn't he didn't listen to him. Mm-hmm. Is is from my perspective, and you know, I, I'm going to read his diary. Maybe he did, and and maybe there's information that I haven't read yet. But um, from what I can tell, he didn't, and I think that was kind of why he lost. Same as as Liz, realistically. And Andrew was listening to them, mm-hmm. he, <laughs> even though he kind of fought them too later. But you know, it happens. And then we're going to do a commentaries on the uh, Laws of England book club after that, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. What what do you, we should. Uh, we should do a book club. That would be fun. Um, what do you think? I like it. Yeah. All right. Well, I think uh, I think it's good. It's a good episode, right? Yes. We got, we got a smattering of everything. I love talking about books, so I had to throw that in there at the end. Um, plus, I was really excited. To, I just wanted to tell you about John Quincy. That's like the whole reason I asked that question. <laughs> All right. Well, um, thank you for listening. Um, what are we What are we telling people, John? We got a Substack. Go subscribe to our Substack. That would be nice. Um, if you like our articles, share them. Um, you know, we're just two people. We don't got a lot of wealth. We don't got a lot of power. And the only way to really get a voice out that doesn't have wealth and power is for it to be amplified by other people. So if you're out there and you're listening and you like what we have to say, then help us out. Amplify our voice or send us an email. We'll probably talk to you, maybe have lunch or something and see what we can do. And um, the best part is we're not John, fundraising off this. So No, we're not fundraising. I'm not trying to sell a book, you know. <laughs> Andrew's not trying to sell a book. I already bought it, so it doesn't matter. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Jeff. Have a good night. All right, John. Peace. Peace and love, guys. Bye.